This is Simone Cicero, the host of the Boundaryless Conversation podcast, an ongoing exploration on the future of platforms and ecosystems. In these conversations, we make sense of what's next. Join me, my co-hosts and my guests as we explore new perspectives about how we organize a scale in a rapidly changing world. Hi everyone, I'm Stina Heikele and I'm today's co-host of the Boundaryless Conversation podcast with Simone Cicero. Today we're having a conversation with Daniel Wall, the author of the internationally acclaimed book, Designing Regenerative Cultures. Daniel holds degrees in biology from the University of Edinburgh, in holistic science from Schumacher College, and has earned a PhD in natural design at the University of Dundee. He lives on Mallorca, where he works both locally and internationally as a consultant, educator, and activist, with clients like ECOVER, Forum for the Future, Camper, Save the Med, Lush, UK Foresight Office, and more. Daniel is a content powerhouse, and his blog on Medium and the recent Regeneration Rising video series inspired thousands of activists and professionals worldwide. You'll find all this information and more in the show notes. In our conversation with Daniel, we talk about the interplay between technology and landscape, between the virtual and analog worlds, and we explore what kind of new experiments and institutions may emerge, and what new constituencies will likely gain a key role in organizing a scale for the re-regionalization of the economy which is such an important step for society's regeneration. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. So today we are here, with, I'm here with Stina, my usual co-host, with uh, Daniel Wall, and uh, uh, exploring essentially together how can weave some threads uh, uh, with regards to how the culture of uh, regeneration and all the, the, the transformative movements that we are seeing can interplay and interconnect with the mastery of scalable organizing and uh, uh, how we can in, indeed actually generate uh, scalable regeneration, I would say. And what does it mean for us in terms of uh, capability skills and, and uh, capability of organizing that our communities need to develop? We are recording this interview on, on uh, April 6th, so in the midst of uh, the coronavirus outbreak. And, uh, and so, Daniel, uh, welcome, welcome with us today. Thanks for having me. Hello. Looking forward to the conversation. So, uh, Daniel, uh, from uh, your first encounter with this uh, systemic acceleration that we are all living, um, uh, do you have already some uh, visions that you have been able to, uh, uh, to entertain with regards to uh, what type of uh, experiments, what, what kinds of new ways of organizing, and what kind of cultures we're going to make sure to back them? Uh, 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 you know, with regards to how uh, these and other uh, crises and transformations will push our uh, organizational models and our stories of organizing forward in the coming decades? Big question. Uh, Yeah, it's been three weeks for me now um, being in lockdown and observing how quickly the world is changing and how we're riding this bizarre paradox now that that on the one hand we need to use this time to have the deeper conversations and connect and explore what comes next and on the other hand i i think just sitting in this mess for a while and and listening to it and not jumping interaction is also called for because we've we've really not been in quite such a kairos moment where where suddenly so much changes so quickly that even people who've worked for 20 years in systems change are 
are somewhat surprised by it, even if we expected it. So for me personally, I feel like it's, it's increasing the contrast or everything just becomes so much more feelable rather than just intellectually groggable. So you, for example, I thought a lot more about how bizarre our justice system is that we lock people away. And uh, because being locked into a flat, you suddenly think about what it's like to be locked away. And at the same time, we're also pushed extremely onto virtual communication and virtual social connecting in this time of physical distancing. Um, I mean, the, the meme social distancing, I think, is, is incredibly degenerative. And as we're doing right now, we need to really socially connect in, in this time of physical distancing. But yeah, I, I find it's, it's just showing like how supposedly strong economies um, like the US economy that, that is ultimately a war-based economy that has always needed wars in the world to be as strong as it is because of the, the military industrial complex is, is now revealing itself as having a health system that in comparison to Europe is, is not really existing. And it's at the same time so tragic to see it because so many people are suffering the effects of that negligence of a system that, that has focused on the wrong parameters of success. And I, f I feel like on so many levels, that's what's happening. And to answer your question a bit more directly, what I feel as the inadequacies of a hyper-brittle globalized system that is all kind of supply on demand with large supply chains that guzzle up enormous amounts of fossil fuels and have huge social and environmental externalities that we've just chosen to ignore, is just falling apart. And it won't take that long as the cascades of synchronous failure start kicking into action that we will have severe supply line disruptions across the world. And for me, that is a chance to really drive what, for other reasons, cl climate change and ecosystems collapse response and, and a general rushing towards a cliff kind of awareness I've been promoting for many, many years, which is a re-regionalization of production and consumption, but in, in a way that is aimed at global solidarity of all bioregions working in place to heal place, to heal our relationship with each other and to heal our relationship to the ecosystems we inhabit and ultimately restore ecosystems health through, through redesigning our economies much more regenerative bioregionally focused way. And I see that lots of people are, are working on this in diff different languages, like Michael Bowen and the peer-to-peer -peer, um, networks have, have really kicked into action um, in the last few weeks, driving the, the conversation about what he calls the cosmo-local transition. And I, I like that term to a certain extent because it's really important that as we build these structures of community and, and bioregional resilience, that we don't do so in a way of closing the drawbridges and creating these little island bioregions and projects that are very inward focused. We need to pay a lot of attention to this process of community building and bioregional resilience building, but at the same time, we need to do so in global solidarity. And that's why the Cosmo word is so important. And we need to somehow coordinate like across scales from the local to the regional to the global collaboration and, and solidarity, how we now go about creating a regenerative future and, and taking this accelerator of COVID-19 into not just a response to a viral pandemic, but 
solving the, the deepening climate crisis that, that we were already in. And also admitting that the economic system that now so many people want to bounce back to immediately was actually far more murderous than the virus has been so far and was so every day for decades. And it's time to redesign that system and not try to reboot it after we come out of lockdown. Mm-hmm. That's resonating with a lot of the conversations that we're having uh, these days, and especially your suggestion to look into this uh, as something that happens across the scales is really, really resonant, and especially this double scale, you know, this double layer, uh, the, the layer of global networks of knowledge and global networks of stories that we are creating on top, uh, let's say, of this technologies of these networks that connect everybody and then this lower layer that is more regional and more I would say more you know co-productive more more about organizing together productions at more a human scale like you know the, the bioregional and the bioregional scale and the regenerative uh, uh, approach I think these are the two layers that we are all seeing you know? and somebody talks about these as something that can generate more resilience and resistance to shock somebody else can see and you know, witness and, and uh, envision a more transformative, a more uh, enriching you know, perspective of uh, thinking about how we organize in a regenerative way. Uh, but these two layers are, are clearly coming up. And so my, my, my question is, is you know, sometimes I feel like we have, the, we, we, we are, especially me and you, like the 40 years old at the moment. So this, I don't even know how to call it, but this generation is somehow in the middle between a generation that is younger, that is more able to interact with these global networks and, and social networks, and a generation that we left behind that was maybe, uh, or maybe a couple of generations that we left behind that were maybe more uh, able, uh, culturally prepared to really organize the economy and our social uh, engagements uh, at the local level, at the regional level. No? So they were much more used to that kind of economies that, than we are, of course. So when we think about ourselves and we think about uh, starting, uh, rethinking the economy at a bioregional regenerative level, my question for you would, would be, where do we start in terms of what constituencies are we looking for? What kind of... Uh, skills uh, do we need and what kind of uh, approaches we can people from all over the world should put in place uh, to start engaging with this new uh, perspective of regenerating uh, bioregional economies mm, tempted like there's something that i would like to briefly mention before we get to that question um which is somehow in these two layers i'm sensitive and I'm also very much kind of just observing my own personal reactions to this and then assuming that maybe if I have them this is actually a dynamic that other people might also experience and that is an assumption that I see a little bit of a kind of creative tension between whether it's to decide each and every one of us how much energy and how much focus and how much creative gift and capacity do I pour into truly coming home to place, really knowing my land, my region, my community, and really serving at that level, which is actually, it's, it's facilitated by digital connections and, and technology, but it is an analog world. It's, a, it's an embodied phenomenological flesh 
world of being in relationship with a region, with a landscape and with people. And then there's this, this need to coordinate all our efforts as we, we have a global regeneration rising, which is across generations, young and old, stepping up to this role of being healers of our communities and our, our ecosystems and, and ultimately healing the planetary situations and in, that, in that process, healing ourselves. But for me, there is this paradox of how, how much energy do we put into the local and into the global networking? I, I was aware of that for the last two or three years, even before this acceleration through the pandemic has happened, um, that it's, it's a kind of tightrope to walk when you work what I call working locally, globally and locally at the same time in this scale linking way, where the regional scale becomes critically interesting. Of course, there are these networks like the Regenerative Communities Network is taking a bioregional focus and working with bioregions all around the world. Then there's a strong bioregional movement in the States that has never gone away since the first impulse in the 1970s, um, particularly in the region of Cascadia and so on. And then even on a completely different constituency, the, the, the medics that have come around this idea of planetary health and this understanding that we really need to understand health as an emergent property in complex dynamic st systems that are, are nested. It's, it's nested complexity from the local to the regional to the national to the global, or you can even go down from the cellular to the organ health to the individual health and the community health. All of that is, is connected and affecting each other. And there's a global alliance called the Planetary Health Alliance, which has its own magazine in the Lancet Journal on planetary health and have put out all sorts of communications over the, the, the last few years, building this 270 institution strong global network of people in the medical professions talking about the link between environmental ecosystems health and human health and population health. And of course, that's kind of had the contrast turned up on it enormously now in the pandemic because we're realizing that these kind of cross-species zoonotic diseases that jump from one species to another are so much more likely in a heavily degraded ecosystem and, and on a heavily pushed planetary biosphere. And so all of that is is super important to work on that scale. But but I'm 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 noticing because there's this and this is the bit that the two of us, I think, ideal to talk about is because you work so much on the side of how do we use technology to enable this movement and enable this process. And it's powerful and it's so needed, this work. And at the same time, how often do we assume that we need to use all these technologies and how do we, like precisely what you were talking about, the, the disconnection between kind of digital natives and digital immigrants, maybe we need to in order to build a healthy way of working with technology, also create ways to not leave behind the people who are doing the vital work in place with the hands in the soil, with planting the, the food forests of the future, planting the agroforestry systems that we need to, to actually have a biomaterials focused regional circular economy that also feeds people in place with renewable energy. All those people are engaging in regeneration in a way that isn't in front of a screen like you and me spend so much time doing. And I think we need to build the bridge between both of them. Um, I'll, I'll stop here so you can come. Mm -hmm.
No, that's that's interesting. I think I I, I come back often to uh, Wendell Berry in the latest mm-hmm. months, especially in the latest weeks, I would say. Uh, and and I do that because uh, Barry offers uh, quite a good, I think, framing and understanding, and, and at least a conversation on two uh, two things that you mentioned basically in this quick um, uh, feedback. That you know, one is essentially uh, the topic of uh, uh, specialization. So somehow we live into this specialized uh, civilization at the moment. You know, where, um, for example, agriculture. Uh, has been completely disconnected from uh, um, from the rest. So agriculture is something that is being performed by monocultural farmers, and and uh, most of the time, and uh, most of us are completely disconnected from production of uh, you know food or um, even from managing the landscape. So we, we we kind of live these specialized and compartmentalized lives. And on the other hand, another point that uh, Barry uh, makes very, very tangible is that uh, there's no way that we can just derogate uh, and delegate, let's say, change to how we change our organizational models. Uh, so there is an inherently um, human and an inherently individual transformation in culture that, uh, and in our expectations from life that needs to be, uh, needs to be complementary, let's say, to the new organizational models that uh, that we experiment with. So I would say I resonate with your point that it's not just about how we use the technology, but it's also about uh, how we choose to expose ourselves to certain uh, aspects of uh, of experience that normally we have cancelled, we have uh, completely removed from our from our life. So, for example, the, the precious work that you mentioned, no? the work of regeneration, the work of all these people that are doing this precious uh, landscape uh, conservation and, and regeneration uh, work. Yeah, I, I sometimes think that if all of us were in the situation that you and I, like you, you in Italy and me here in Spain have been in, of, of actually now not being able to connect deeply with nature because we're, we're, we're literally not even allowed outside to, to go for a walk or to, to exercise. If, if everybody was living that experience around the globe, maybe people would, would realize how deeply important that the nature connection actually also is in their life, even if they previously lived a very techno-focused life that saw kind of connection with more than human nature, the, like trees and having their, going for a walk in a forest or in a park. Um, as something that they weren't actually realizing how how much they were actually drawing also from these deep like Wendell Berry is a farmer he spends a lot of time doing the the deep connection with our wider context that is life as a planetary process that is life creating conditions conducive to life and there's no better way of being in relationship with that than growing some food and taking care of a particular piece of land and and, and stewarding its health or, or intending to be of positive influence in a landscape and i think that that's where we need to somehow find a way to enable people to participate in those healing processes in their community in their bioregion but at the same time it is vitally important that like because it's all about participation it's and so how we organize across scales and collaborate with each other and and help each other in an open peer-to-peer way that enables the kind of rapid innovation that we now see in response to the pandemic where medical teams all around the world who previously funded by big pharma were keeping every little bit of research result secret in order to 
have a lead advantage on being the first to develop the new drug are now sharing in order to just speed up the process for better innovation. And, and I, I, I think one thing that, that this current situation has also shown us is that we can unleash so much potential if we collaborate better, both at the local regional, but also at the international scale. And so it is, for, for me, it's so important that we find new ways to collaborate across scales that use technology. And we don't somehow by default then set up a system that those people who choose to put their effort more in the analog part, which is also really important, like real deep connection to land um, and disconnected that we we have enough ways of building the bridges between the people that 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 hold the international connections and the collaboration and the people who choose to just want to be working on the ground i think we need to keep that diversity we that we're keeping keeping people like creating a future where if we're not all constantly connected through our mobile phones into this virtual space we're, we're disconnected from where the world is changing that which is what the techno focus has done at the moment. I'm not so sure if if that's truly regenerative. And I'd love to to see how you see that because it's like this this love hate relationship that I personally feel with technology. That I see how much it can give us, but I can also see how much by just running with it we give up so much else in terms of ways of being and, and seeing. Yeah, I would love to let Stina jump in. She has some questions I want to add, and I will offer a reflection after that. Yeah, thank you. So I, I was listening very attentively to what you say, and I, I grasped also from you know some of your previous writings about this um, urge to somehow slow down and understand what's going on before jumping into designing or using technology, like I was reading your series on salutogenic cities. So the city is a very interesting scale also that, I mean, over half of the world population live in cities. So it's something that requires a lot of attention. And what uh, struck me from uh, one of your articles was this idea that we need to pay less attention first to on the design and the infrastructure and first pay attention to this emergence of a regenerative cultural expression and I think linked to what you, you were just saying now, what I think uh, would be interesting to hear about is um, a bit of the time scale, I guess, because now we said that things are moving very fast. So, so how patient should we be in, in this kind of dialogue? Is, and, and is there, how do you see that? Like in a, this tension between having to have some kind of rapid response and taking the opportunity to speed up change, but also not letting go of that dialogue and the bridges that you were talking about yeah one of the key frameworks in the the technology that that um regenesis group and and the lineage of regenerative practice that comes from the teachings that carol samford and pamela mang have have built and ben haggard and bill reed and so on they they all very often use this idea of a of a triad where you have an activating force and a restraining force and the in, instead of bouncing either or back and forth between these two perspectives you really look at both of them as creating a polarity that creates a potential that is really what you're trying to unleash and work with. And for me, that's, it's slowing down in order to speed up or to not make the mistake that would actually then slow us down even more. And at the same time, responding to this transformative moment is a bit of a paradox um, or it is, it is a polarity. It's the same 
what I was talking about earlier, like to what extent we, we were now, imagine we didn't have all these technologies right now in lockdown, we'd be completely isolated and there'd be no way to organize a network and have the conversation of what would we want to do differently if, if we're now given possibly another three months of rearranging our responses to, to a very different world when we come out of this situation. Because that's the other thing, like to assume that that system could actually bounce back is, is also an assumption that is somehow pretending this isn't going to have cascading systemic runaway effects in the system that might even lead to the economic system that we had before not being able to, to buffer it anymore and finally breaking down, which, which is a terrifying prospect. And at the same time, it's what's needed in order to build the new system. So, so how do we dance between embracing collapse and um, breakdown enough to say, yeah, there were structures that really no longer served and they need to break down. And now is the opportunity to rebuild. And that's where, where I keep thinking that the, the bioregional focus is so important and cities are just one of the epicenters of a bioregion. Like, so, so it's kind of, there would be a mistake to dream bioregionally without always having cities in each bioregion. This whole relationship of how to provide for an urban population within the context of the ecosystem that that urban population sits in is, is a 120-year-old story that, that Sir Patrick Geddes already, that, that the founder of town planning was saying, we need to plan our cities within the region. And to come more specifically to your question b between this deep listening process that needs to happen in place that listens to the place and the culture and the rapid response to the converging crises, I think that it's that deep listening that actually is the beginning of a response. We don't need to immediately put new systems and solutions in place. We need to, to, to really ask the deeper questions about what needs to change. And in that process, we all learn to think more systemically, to think in more dynamic evolutionary ways, to not think of solutions or infrastructures or, or systems as something that we then cast in stone and that then are tram tracks that we're in for too long in a world that keeps changing. So the, the way to build dynamic responsive capability to constant change is to work with people in place and increase their capacity to share their unique gifts in that collaborative regional response to being regenerative at the regional scale and at the global scale at the same time as the only way that we can respond to this current planetary crisis. So, so it's, I know this is, <laughs> sounds confusing because it is too confusing because it is a paradox. We literally, I think, are wasting more time if we rush into mega solutions too quickly and by, by, by working on solutions at the local and regional scale and experimenting with them, we can learn so much more but we need to globally exchange the, the learning. Uh, one interesting point that you, you, you make me think about is, is that, uh, of course, you know, we need to slow down somehow. You know, there is this um, sentence from Bayo Akomolafe that uh, times are urgent, so let's slow down. And I tend to agree, we need to really be thoughtful in the response that we articulate and uh, in the uh, ways that we engage with this crisis. But for sure, what we have seen is that uh, um, as the world slips into a new 
reality, let's say, or at least as we grapple with uh, the new reality that uh, we are living as a global civilization, there will be some institutions that are going to articulate a response. And those are the institutions that we have now. So national states, essentially, you know, as we have seen with coronavirus thing and all these bureaucratic uh, uh, apparatus that uh, the traditional industrial institutions uh, like corporates and, and uh, corporates that are now lobbying government and uh, interacting with government and somehow even uh, overcoming governments in some of the pol- policies that they are, uh, uh, you know, they are uh, using in, in this uh, COVID outbreak context, uh, which is just say uh, uh, something that is um, is quite kind of kind of uh, iconic of what is going to come. So, as I said, uh, some of these the existing institutions are going to articulate a response. And I tend to agree with you that there are going to be some other responses, let's say, that are, that are coexistent and layered on top of the institutional response, that are the responses that we are going to articulate with networks and so on. So, if I think about how we articulate the rest of the response. So what, what kind of new things, what kind of new approaches, what kind of new capabilities, what kind of new constituencies uh, need to wake up uh, uh, and uh, proceed you know, and, and to experiment. So, so that my question is, where are these questions that you have just outlined? What are the, those questions going to be asked? Who is going to build uh, um, on top of these questions. So what are the constituencies that we need to, as entrepreneurs that want to regenerate and want to uh, complement the, the answer of the traditional institutions? So where are the spaces, where are the places that we, we need to seek uh, to, to create these new uh, uh, players, these new constituencies that can, can really engage with this? Well, I, I think that somehow there's stuff bubbling and let's see how, how long we're in this cocoon phase that we, we've all been pushed into now. Um, like for example, in the UK, the Extinction Rebellion has really done a wonderful turn this year from last year's wake-up call that was much more focused on nonviolent direct action and kind of briefly disrupting business as usual for people to listen a bit more to the, the message of that the issue of climate change is an, is an urgent one to respond to. And this year, they've, they've really changed their focus on this regenerative culture principle and also acknowledge that it has to be diverse regenerative cultures in place, that there isn't a, a global kind of way of saying this is how you have to do it, but it is actually people in their constituencies, whether it's local communities, neighborhoods, or collaborating at the bioregional scale, really asking these questions and, and and for me that's that's re-engaging the schools like every, every system every structure is now pushed to the point that they, they don't know whether they can hold it and the education system everywhere as well people the kids are at home we, we have a huge potential to also open conversations of how education needs to change right now and museums are closed theaters are closed like all outlets like even funded outlets of cultural expression are realizing what what is our raison d'etre what, what, what do we do in this 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 coming world 
And for me, catalyzing those conversations, um, like reinventing museums and, and libraries and any type of cultural space as platforms for plan planetary bioregional learning, for, for learning more about the global supply lines, the history of what used to be produced in a place, what was the strength and the uniqueness and the craftsmanship that came from different regions. And then also mixing that in a really creative way with the global collaboration and maker spaces and so on to say, well, now we have all this technology at our disposal. How do we make the things we need in this region for a modern technological civilization in a way that is drawing mainly from locally generated renewable energy that is drawing mainly from locally grown biomaterial resources. And, and yes, some of them might be in the forms of forests and so on, and others might be lab-grown biological resources. So there, there is a space for synthetic biology and chemistry in, in all of this as well, but in a controlled local and regional scale. So for, for me, it, it's engaging the universities and the researchers on that amazing innovative feat or challenge to say, how do we re-regionalize production and consumption? And what would it look like to create a fully circular biomaterials economy that runs on renewables? And can we do so in ways that doesn't compete with feeding the local population? So, so if we grow bioresources, how do we grow food at the same time? And how do we change responsible ecosystems management and restor restoration in such a way that we do all of that and at the same time bring back forests lock down carbon into the um, into the soil and into standing forests but also into biomaterials into new into the built environment that we work on from now on it's massive like we, we need to engage every aspect of of society to, I mean, it's, it's not a small feat to redesign the human impact on earth within the lifetime of one of the generations alive today. And I think that's what we're now called to do. And the pandemic is just giving us the opportunity to say to those people who say, no, you can't do that. That's impossible. Well, who would have said that you can reduce global flight volumes within four weeks to maybe 30% of the previous state? Uh, um, people would have said that's impossible, things will collapse. Well, so far they're not collapsing. And we can do a lot of things differently, but we're also seeing, as I said earlier, the, the brittlety of the, the global system and the urgency to build scale-linking resilience into the system. And, and, and that, for me, is engaging really everyone, education, cultural centers, local community groups. They, I think politically, we also need to be savvy and not ignore the political process, but that's getting involved at local and regional scale. I think partially as regional government actors feel a little bit abandoned by a panicking and, and not fully uh, with it national response to the crisis, which is happening in so many countries, they are also seeing that they better start thinking of building structures that are more bioregionally focused and also prepare for the disruptions that we are going to have in the turbulent three, four decades ahead. Like, I mean, this is just the first massive turbulence that we're experiencing, but, but there will be probably many. Well, that's really, really interesting. So as I understand, I'm trying to resonate with your thoughts and offer uh, some kind of uh, next step for the conversations. So I see that uh, the point you are making is that this is a response that uh, the whole society needs to articulate. And uh, um, for sure, I, I love the fact that you uh, um, make it evident that this is going to be a political aspect. So we're going to have 
a political conversation. So I think maybe it's rather post-political, meaning that um, uh, among the many systems of the industrial age that we are seeing collapsing at the moment, I think it's also the political system. I mean, the, the governance system, no? the traditional politics that help us to, to develop our governance systems. But more than anything else, I see that you are pointing out some kind of poetic uh, process that needs to happen. So, so when you say, for example, uh, we need to have museums, schools, universities, libraries, uh, every cultural institution to be involved in this uh, process, because essentially my, my feeling is that the existing institutions that we have they are not uh, necessarily um, able or structured to engage with a poetic process. It's like, you know, the industrial complex has lost its capability to make meaning, to create new meaning, to create uh, new, uh, to, really to engage with this poiesis. So that's, that's the impression that I have. And, and um, it's interesting that maybe our organizational challenge is not just about uh, getting ready to do things differently, but it's also about really creating the spaces where we can, uh, we can make new meaning so that we can make different things. Yeah, uh, basically what I come back to a lot lately is how biased our entire culture has become over the last 250 years enthralled and fascinated and and benefiting hugely from the power of analytical rational thought science the the scientific method the inquiry process that that sets up this worldview that that there's a world out there that we are observing and that we're somewhat separate from and it's been a really powerful tool, but we're not really seeing that even many of us who want to create a creative response are still somewhat operating and also believing because we, we sucked this in with our mother's milk and, and by cultural os osmosis since, since the beginning, no matter how old we are, that if we want to affect change, then you have to somehow create a strategy and you create a system and you implement it and you, you have to get better at it and you have to test it. And all of that is true and it's really great. But that for me, like what I keep coming back to is the Jungian four ways of knowing in which thinking and knowing of, of that type that I just described is only one of the four dimensions and feeling, sensing and intuiting are vital ways of also gaining insights about participation. And, and they are the spaces in which meaning making really lands in a kind of embodied, true whole being way and therefore then really transforms people and through that transforms cultures and our our common story and so yes i think it's completely vital what i'm seeing right now on the internet is, is so beautiful all these people in physical distancing making music together and writing new songs now would be the time for cultural creators and the music industry and so on to to really think how do i do my work in a way that invites everyone that might art, my art form, my craft, my gift that I share with the world is, is inviting everybody I, I touch to have these deeper conversations about what is our relationship to life and is life maybe foremost a planetary process and the way that biomimicry, Janine Benio says, life creates conditions conducive to life. I think that that beautifully sums up i mean of course I, i'm biased i'm a biologist originally from training and i i've been a student of life for 25 30 years trying to understand how it all connects and what our role is in that 
evolutionary process of a transforming whole. And again, that, that brought me back to participation and my own responsibility as a co-creator of this process, because I am life. And is there a way that when we come out of lockdown, we suddenly find that at the opera, there will be reshaping of old operas that then focus on this human nature relationship and unity and, and, and the, this notion that Dietnard Han um, calls interbeing. Can we, can we see what a dance looks like that tries to bring that into cultural discourse? What, what would happen in terms of the unleashing of, well, of course, we might have an economic systems collapse and, and their money might not be worth anything either, but Im imagine all the world's fine art museums really engaging with art that tries to question our responsibility for, for planetary health and planetary healing and appropriate participation in life's process of creating conditions conducive to life and to do so through fine art. And that would then end up in the living rooms and in the conversations of the ultra wealthy individuals that, that can afford to collect art. Not that we want to perpetuate such an unequal global situation, but right now engaging those people, they've been cooked by the virus just as much with these deeper questions could, could really unleash philanthropic capital in a new way as well. And so, so for me, it, it's both and. It's it, like it's, I think another notion that I come back to a lot is Joanna Macy's framing that we're both midwives and hospice workers. So hospice workers of, of the dying system and midwives of what wants to be born. And for me, that's an invitation to be compassionate with all those who've built the old system and who are tr still trying to uphold the old system because they thought it somehow served. And to really now also engage, because what you were saying earlier, that big industry and these multinational players that are now more powerful than even governments and are kind of interfering with, with government policy. Of course, that's the world pre-pandemic, but some of these extreme, like the, the maybe the pharmaceutical industry is, is going to do well out of this, who knows, but, but maybe not. And certainly the car industry, which was a big player in the fossil fuel industry, are, are really struggling. So, so if this really hits deeply, this crisis, then some of what these old dinosaurs were drawing their power from in terms of the financial power might just evaporate. And then we have a, yet again a, a massive opportunity to really culturally shape our, our human story. And for me, that's, that's where I keep coming back. Like, I don't want to come across as anti-technology at all. Like, I'm, I'm really appreciating that we have this way of connecting. And I just want to flag up that we have to be really conscious of how we use technology as we move forward to build a future that is a real hybrid world and doesn't assume that everything needs to be subsumed into some kind of technologically based system. Like I'm concerned about even all the currencies and all these like multi-capital approaches to re regeneration that ultimately like what, we were just gonna be real time tracked on every ounce that we pr produce and consume. Um, all of that will be linked to our electronic wallet and. I mean, it becomes like we're, we're just as much becoming a, a cog into, in, in some kind of machine that way. I just wanted to offer a small um, weaving from other conversations that I thought was interesting in this context, because when we spoke to John Robbs, he was talking about augmented reality as sort of the next frontier of, of enterprising and how 
you know, sort of video games and creating basically this own poetic expression that kind of uh, we were touching upon. No, there's also this potential to join the virtual and, uh, and the analog world. Um, and then I had heard that resonate in another uh, radio show from Sweden where actually now the teenagers who have sort of been the gamers sitting alone at home and, and been seen as sort of a little bit of outsiders suddenly step out and offer solutions to institutions like for example opening discord channels for students to hang out after class and so on. So I think it's a very interesting intergenerational opportunity as well for our uh, generation to be sort of humble and think, what are the youth saying about this who have sort of the, those millennials that are born with technology? Uh, so that I think there will be a very interesting evolution, like you mentioned, education, like through this now virtual shift that we are living somehow and that the institutions are not really able to find a great <laughs> solution to, but it's coming from elsewhere. Yeah, on the one hand, it's so wonderful to see how easily there's a whole, like there's a whole generation that is just not even seeing technology as something that is other anymore. <laughs> but but at the same time, even like in that generation, in order to really truly heal the relationship that is to our larger self, which is beyond the human culture and is into the wider community of life that we need to find new ways of relating to. So really building a deep bridge to what we left behind that is even indigenous, native, traditional ecological wisdom of how to live in place, but marry it with the capabilities of of, of a modern technological culture, that marriage, to my mind, only happens if we also seriously question what technology, when and to what extent, and not assume that we just have to, like so many people that I know in the Bay Area uh, are convinced that we're already in an inevitable runaway technology, exponential technology process. and. I think as we're now realizing that so much of our systems are breaking down, we might get to a point to also say, well, okay, then, then like if we need to redesign how we make decisions, how we govern ourselves, how we educate ourselves. And then in, in all of those areas, of course, technology will play a huge role. But our blind spot, I think, for too many people still is to see that by designing all the solutions around technology, if we don't carefully then also ground it to place in a way that is analog and embodied and real and doesn't just speak to the thinking part of our meaning-making process, but also to sensing, feeling and intuiting in an embodied world, that's where, where, where I think the, 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 I keep coming back to that in this conversation because I, th I think it's so vital to invite people into really critically exploring this. And I'd, I'd also like rather than just being in a space where you ask me questions, I would love to, to actually hear you reflect on that and, and push back even if you feel that, that it's too much of a like to just keep coming back on this critical way of how do we organize, how do we use technology and how do we use it wisely? Well, if I can offer a, maybe a, a final, uh, something that leads us to the final points, you know, because mm -hmm. it's good to close after more or less one hour. What, what I wanted to offer to you as, as, a, as a reflection is, is the following. So, so I see, you know, for example, yesterday I was uh, listening to Rebel Wisdom's uh, one-day event on the coronavirus crisis. And uh, also the, the, the opening was uh, made by two 
very eminent contributors. One was uh, Jamie Wheel that offered a pretty big picture of the coronavirus crisis and also trying to articulate the first, second and third order effects that such a crisis may have on our systems, uh, like sh shocks, that uh, the shockwaves that this crisis is going to produce among the, uh, across the world, especially in developing countries or maybe also in developed ones. And the other one was Diane Marshall-Hamilton that was talking about, you know, at, at the human level, how do you grapple with that? How do you stay in the context? How do you relate with the others? How do you manage emotionally what you're living through? And so, so to become, to remain sovereign in your actions and your activities and so on. I think from what our conversation, again, uh, I'm, I'm seeing that the, this space, you know, the space where technology and wisdom connect, the space where we, we do two things. We, we acknowledge that we are rewired by technology, but we also acknowledge our cultural heritage and our, you know, embeddedness in, in the cosmos, let's say. Uh, this space is something that we don't know really how it works yet. Mm -hmm. And there is this philosopher that we're going to, we're, we're hopefully going to have on the podcast, we're going to reach out and and we, we loved his work. Uh, we love his work that is called the Yukui. I think we also spoke about this when we met, uh, which is bringing, who is bringing uh, forth this concept of uh, multi, a future made of multiple cosmo techniques. Uh, so multiple ways in the world, uh, so totally de-universalized ways, you know, so much more local or much more culturally embedded in the landscape and in the community ways to integrate technology with, with the world and with what we need to do in the world. So using and, and, and relating with technologies in a way that is much more culturally grounded in, in what we are and what we are in the context where we live in, in our landscapes, in our regions, in our cities and, and whatever. My feeling is the future is going to be, uh, you, you said that quite a lot of times in your webinars, for example, the future is going to be bumpy the next two decades are going to be quite bumpy. Hopefully, we can get through this. And uh, the question is, the organizing that at the moment we don't understand yet. So this new space of organizing where technology and wisdom and landscape and community fit all together, that's going to be what we need in the next two decades. Because the, the, the institutions are going to stay, the global ones, the global institutions are going to stay, the nation states may be probably... Uh, but they want to be able to deal with what's coming up. At, at least they won't be able to do it uh, the same way that they did it in, in the last uh, hundred years or something like that. So the question is, how do we, and this is the question we are exploring in this podcast, how do we organize in this sp new space? Uh, I, I don't know if this offers a, a further reflection on your side. Mm, yeah, I mean, for, for me, it brings up, and we had that conversation when you were here in Mallorca, how critical the notion of subsidiarity is and all that. So if we want to organize today, the, what, what, like, as you were just reflecting, I was also thinking of how everything, the entire framing that I've used during this conversation is actually perpetuating a technology as other again and very quickly also falling into yet again separating technology and nature and Ultimately, I do believe that we will only heal epistemologically and ontologically this, this whole dilemma if we understand that it's all fundamentally connected, that, that neither culture is separate from nature nor technology is separate from nature. And therefore, that goes both ways. Like it, it also means that the things we currently don't see as technological are actually nature's ingenious 
technology or the, the, the more than human nature's ingenious technology of really serving the continued evolution of the system we participate in. We somehow assume that we're so clever, but you and I are fathers. You, like when you see even just you, you're witnessing your children grow inside your partner's belly and then you witness how they turn from these tiny little creatures into running cheeky little individuals that hold up mirrors to you to actually believe that we're so clever with what we currently call technology and to not really honor and celebrate that that more than human technology of life and really learn how to rather than to build a new one to work creatively as stewards with the way that ecosystems heal themselves and produce abundance for all of us. Um, and that's what we've done as a species for so long. And it was actually somewhat simpler, but deeper in, in meaning. And so, yeah, but to come back to your organizing question, that return into a healing relationship with our wider self does need us to stay in touch in a subsidiary-based both political and organization structure where people in place can have the sovereignty over their own energy, water and food and education and are educated of the interconnectedness of our participation as life as a planetary process that we of course have to do things in our regions in such a way that also heal the planetary situation and thereby serve everybody. So it's, it's this understanding that there is no way to save yourself in a kind of ideal lifeboat perfectly designed by a regional system if you don't also understand that this will only truly create create health as being one healthy cell in a larger healthy body and in order to keep supporting all cells being healthy we need the organizational structure that you, you you're working on and that's why it's so critically important and lots of other people are also, like I've just had a wonderful conversation with the people at Ecolise um, to, to give just one example of, of a network here in Europe of organizations that are community sustainability focused and now growing into understanding that that needs a bioregional context um, in many ways are able to offer responses not just to the current disruptions of, through the, due to the pandemic, but also to building resilience to future disruptions. And so I, um, it's those kind of platforms that where I've, I think if we focus on working with local and regional government in reframing the story towards a, we cannot heal the planet, but we can heal places and let's do a good job here locally and do so in global solidarity and cooperation and co-learning. To my mind, that's the path through the next bumpy decades. But Again, I'm, I'm just, I'm completely embracing my own not knowing and my own continuous inquiry in trying to be of service to this whole story. I'm not saying I have the answers. Yeah, I guess nobody has the answer. And this is a good, I think it's a good closure of our conversation. Uh, my impression is that, uh, in, in, for example, in Zen terms, it's like we are confronting with what the Buddhists call the koan, you know, so this kind of enigma that uh, is there for you to think about and it's there for you to provoke uh, doubt. And somehow I think uh, uh, this is something we need to 
familiarized with you know, this idea of not having all the answers in the coming decade and uh, organizing probably if we can if we can isolate one trait of organizing that we're going to see in the next decade is uh, organizing through unexplored and through the, the doubts and through the open questions that, that we are going to face so so that's for sure. The organization that can grapple with the next decade is going to be an organization that can stay within the trouble, like, you know, uh, somebody more famous than me uh, used to say. And yeah, this, this idea also of subsidiarity is, is key, I think, you know, that uh, we came up with. I think we need to somehow, from this conversation, I draw this insight that uh, the future of organizing for the next decade is going to probably come uh, at the edge, and but also inside existing institutions and uh, in a subsidiarity, and also in collaboration with the existing structures of, of society that, that uh, brought us here. And uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, uh, just briefly to, to comment on that, it's, it's like what I keep thinking, or maybe we can have a conversation, you, you and I, about this, is what we need is a sh shift towards, um, of course we need solutions and answers, but we, we really need to pay deep attention to what questions to ask. And we need to ask them also in this way of serving place, serving the bioregion, and doing so in a way that also serves the planet. And in the indigenous wisdom from all over the world also has this tripartite structure of making wise decisions that is about does it serve self does it serve community and does it serve life or the planet and how would we create platforms of local global learning that connect people through questions back to their local and bioregional community the opportunities and challenges of their place the potential of healing those challenges and to do so always in the contextual awareness of how their place is deeply interwoven with the wider bioregion, national and planetary connectedness of this process that we participate in and, and depend upon. And, and that's, that's I'd be really interested in whether some of your work could actually help build such a platform of planetary learning that starts working on place as a fractal asking questions about your locality, your region, and how they contextualize globally. Yeah, that's what we are, uh, we are going through these days. I think we are exploring so that we can not just offer the possibility to be the one platform, but uh, also one of the points that I think we are getting from these conversations that uh, there is emerging as some kind of meta level to the conversation where also thinking about one platform, it's something that we need to overcome. It's much more about thinking how we can all participate in, in some kind of platformized conversation and platformized design process that's going to be implemented in, in many, many ways, in many, many, many different ways. And this is more or less piggybacking on the concept of cosmotechnic that we just shared. So how do we create, evolve this technique of platform thinking in a way that can be a tool and can be a, a generator of conversation about how we, we implement in this uh, non-universalized way that transcends and goes beyond the idea of platforms and ecosystems that maybe we had so far. So really going beyond that is, I think, the question that we have on the table. Yeah, definitely. We don't need the one platform to rule them all, to bring them all and in the darkness bind them. That's to be avoided. We somehow kind of interoperability of, of platforms and also 
not falling into the trap of leaving those behind who don't want to engage into a hyper techy conversation of how to merge platforms and data profiles and all those like the people who are part of the solutions that might just not have their focus in that world, but still need to be enabled by it and connected through it. Yeah, it's a nice way to close our conversation, Dania. It also connects with many, many other conversations that we had in the last weeks. And our listeners will find some interesting thoughts in the conversation, for example, we had with Arthur Brock on using Holochain as a way to see these technologies are much more centered around the agents and the sovereign agents that implement new strategies instead of being centered in, in universalized ideas of technology. So really, that was a very, I think it was a very good first conversation. I'm sure we're going to get back with you in the coming months as we, we start to figure out what does it mean to create this new space where wisdom and technology and nature find again their synthesis, let's say. And Daniel, do you want to use a few seconds to tell people where to find more of your work and when, ah. when they can support your work? Yeah, basically my, my Medium blog is not behind the paywall and the 450 articles, book excerpts, PhD excerpts, you name it, basically 20 years of research, writing and reflecting on how to create human and planetary health and work regeneratively. There's plenty of entry points on Facebook through the Facebook group, Regenerative Cultures or Ecological Consciousness, well, no, they're Facebook pages. And there's also a group called Regenerative Consciousness Community, which I co-edit with Christopher Chase and a whole group of other people. So it's quite broad in, in, in its take, um, not 100% aligned with everything that I, I think, but that's, we need to create these diverse entry points. And I'm on Twitter at Dr. DC Val, and where else can you find me? Um, on LinkedIn. And yeah, one, one thing, like I've, I've also got a video blog called The Regeneration Rising um, Conversations about regenerative practice, where I'm sort of having conversations with folk that are trying to build this regenerative response to the current converging crises. So for those who enjoy it, they can find me there. Thank you very much. So again, thanks for being with us on the show. I'm sure we're going to speak with you uh, soon in the, in the coming uh, months. And uh, let's engage with these open questions all together in this conversation. So listeners, check out Daniel's work, his videos, articles, his Patreon page, and talk to, you, talk to you as soon as possible, Daniel, again. Yeah, wonderful to speak to you and lovely to meet you. Thank you for listening to Boundaryless Conversation Podcast. We truly hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please share this episode on social media and subscribe to our podcast by looking up for Boundaryless Conversation Podcast on all major podcasting platforms. Stay tuned on www.platformdesigntoolkit.com for more general research updates, where you can also find opportunities for learning and free tools for you and your team to design platform strategies in these turbulent times. This podcast has been brought to you 
by our research sponsor Intesa San Paolo. We want to also thank Walter Mobilio at Leo Sound for the ad hoc music. <laughs>